All right. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you, we praise you, we give you glory, we give you thanks, we give you honor, and we just worship you. Um, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to be our Savior. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for reaching down when we had no worth, no value. But you chose to value us anyway. You chose to love us anyway. Even when we were your enemies. And you won us to yourself. And we are so thankful for that. We are so thankful for your heart. And we just want the same heart. We want to have a heart just like our Father in heaven. So, Lord, we look to you to this morning. We just ask that you would speak your word to our hearts. We ask that you would open our eyes to see and open our ears to hear, that we could know you better, that we could just be closer to you. We could shine more like Jesus each day. Help me this morning, please. Because I can't do this without you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're talking about a community that loves others. A community that loves others. So this, this, these are three of the things that we're, you know, building on. A community that loves God, loves others, and that makes disciples, right? So last week, we're going to pick up from last week. Last week we saw the beginnings of church planning in Philippi in Acts 16. So this was Paul. He was on a whirlwind tour going through Philippi. And he encountered Lydia, the seller of purple, right? She was an intelligent, decisive entrepreneur, confident leader, successful businesswoman. In today's world, she'd be a lawyer or accountant or entrepreneur, something like that. But she was spiritually starving on the inside, right? And we're just doing a flyby on these things to refresh your memory because we're going somewhere with this. So almost in a blur, she got baptized and her family was baptized and put Paul and his companions up in her house. And then she begged Paul for more, just like a hungry teenager in an all-you-can-eat restaurant, right? Ate, ate everything in sight, then asked for more. And why is that? Because that's what a successful businesswoman does, a successful, confident entrepreneur does when they find a good deal. When they find a really good deal, they grab hold of it and they don't let go, right? And they ask for more. So Lydia and her family were the first members of the church. Then number two, the slave girl, the no-name slave girl. She was possessed by an evil spirit of divination, that tormented her, right? Her owners uh, had her prophesy for money uh, for their own monetary gain. In today's society, she would be this would be a trafficked young woman who is addicted to drugs. By the way, did you know in some countries trafficking is uh, is uh, has less of a penalty than dealing drugs, and so and it's and it's easier too because drugs. Guess what? You have to replenish those drugs once you sell them, but not so much with you know trafficking, and so. Um, Anyway, so a lot of the drug dealers have just said, you know what, it's more profitable, it's easier, and um, there's less risk, so I'm just going to do that instead. So that's become a huge problem. Um, yeah, over, over in other countries, yeah, and in cities here in America, and in suburbs here in America, I, I heard a, or read a statistic that in some places you can get, you know, delivery faster than a pizza, literally. That's a this is a huge problem. So this girl cried out with all of her might, and Paul finally heard. He, she caught his attention like she was trying to do, and so Paul cast out the demon, and the girl was free. 
So this no-name slave girl was the next church member. She probably wasn't even allowed to attend church, but you know what? God knew her heart, and she was part of that church. So she's the, she's the second person, the next one. Number three was the prisoners in jail with Paul, right? So they were accused, convicted criminals. They were probably hardened by society. And so there they were in jail, and they were listening to Paul and Silas sing praises and pray to God, and they were so moved, they were so taken by the atmosphere of God's loving presence that even when the earthquake happened and their chains fell off, they didn't go anywhere. They were freed from their guilty conscience. So many people today are prisoners of a guilty conscience. And to just get that time with God where you feel loved is worth more than all the freedom that you could get to get freed from your guilty conscience. And so these were the third, the prisoners were the third additions to the church, right? And so you've got these prisoners, all of them maybe, some of them, they probably can't even go to church, but you know what? I'll bet you they're having church in the jail. And then number four, the Philippian jailer. So this was the experienced, hardened public servant, right? Religious skeptic. He'd seen it all, and, and it was all baloney to him until the earthquake happened, and he was confronted with the greatest crisis of his life. And so he's, he drew his sword, and then Paul called out, Do yourself no harm. We're all here because of God's compassion, because none of the prisoners left. Because of that, he lived. And so he asked Paul, How do I be saved? And so he was saved and baptized that night, him and his whole family. These were the fourth additions to the church at Philippi. And then within probably about a week, Paul leaves Philippi. So, so you see this whirlwind. He, 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 he rolls into town, you know, gets these four different groups of people, right, to make up a church, a successful businesswoman and her family, a no-name slave girl, a few prisoners, and an experienced public servant in his family. And that's it. That's the church. And then Paul rolls out of town. And it just makes me ask, what was God thinking here? Like, what future could this possibly, who's the leader, you know? What's, what's going to happen with this thing? And just knowing human nature, okay, I'm thinking, okay, the jail, hey, I've, I've, been, to, I've been to jail before, you know, to visit, okay, <laughs> just to say that. I've been to jail to visit, right? And the prisoners and the guards, they don't have a real great relationship together. So I would imagine there would be something similar there where the jailer would hate the prisoners and the prisoners would hate the jailer, right? Okay. The slave girl, she would probably look at the businesswoman and just en envy her. And the businesswoman would probably, you know, stay away from the slave girl because she's disreputable and she's not good for business. So it looks kind of like we've got this recipe for disaster in this church of Philippi, right? It started in a week. It looks like it may not last for two. <laughs> but you know what? That's how it would work if it was operated according to the rules of this world. The rules of this world take all you can get and keep it. Mercy is for the weak. Do unto others and do it first, right? But God's kingdom operates differently. So what, so what was God thinking when he put this ragtag group of people together? <laughs> Sometimes I think we're a ragtag group of people, and that's okay. He was, this is what he was thinking. Awesome. This is perfect. I can make this happen. This is going to be the coolest thing. So what could this businesswoman possibly have in common with the slave girl? How about this? A mentoring relationship. There's so much wisdom that the businesswoman has just on how to live life that that slave girl probably has no concept of. Self-control, how to care for herself, how to have self-respect, how, you know, how to seek a career and have career aspirations, how to interact with others in society, how to do business and succeed, right, in following your dreams. Because if you've been born a slave, then you probably you didn't get out into free society a whole lot, and so you didn't know anything about it. 
And so there is no better match for that slave girl than to be mentored by a successful, you know, experienced entrepreneur businesswoman. No better match in the whole wide world. In fact, I would not be surprised, and scripture doesn't say it, but if Lydia purchased the slave girl so just so she could adopt her as her own daughter and bring her into the family. So what does a successful businesswoman get out of this deal? A sense of purpose. Right? She, as she pours her life into rehabilitating a slave girl, she gets the joy of seeing somebody who's broken and, and so broken and hurting from society grow into a self-confident and capable and beautiful member of society. And to know that God did this through her, that she would got to be the tool that God used to transform a human life into a thing of beauty. You can't buy that kind of feeling. So the successful businesswoman has so much that she can get out of this too. And what about the prisoners, right? They have so much to learn about being a beneficial member of society. And what better mentor could they have than an experienced jailer that puts up with no guff? <laughs> this guy's going to, he's with them 24-7. He's going to call them to the carpet no matter what baloney they're trying to pull on him. And he's going to do it in love because all of a sudden he's been changed on the inside too. So now he can mentor them in love also. There's nobody better to mentor these men into being you know, positive members of society also, to, to, to bring love to the people that they used to bring crime to. And then it was years later that Paul visited them and found them thriving. <laughs> That's just really great. He wrote him a letter from prison you know, a while after that, and uh, they were, this, the Philippian church thrived into a full-fledged church in the first century. All this happens by God's grace by God changing people's lives. They value each other and they show love for each other. That's what God's love does. And that's what we're all about. We're dedicated to be a growing community that loves others. We could be doctrinally staunch and superior, but instead we choose love. So this is a place where people are valued, reconciled, and encouraged. So we're a place that values others. <clears throat> so love is an outward expression of an inward attitude of valuing people, right? If you value someone, then you're going to act with love towards them, and then you know what it is? How, how are they going to receive that? They're going to feel loved. But you see, the thing is you can't manufacture it. If you don't have the value on the inside of you first, then you really won't act with love, and they really won't feel loved. But if you have the value in place first, then... You know, no, no matter what words come out of your mouth, no matter what actions come out, they'll be that of love, and the person will feel loved. So what does it look like to value someone? So we're just going to take a peek in Philippians 1, verses 3 through 5, because this is just, this is the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, and Philippians 1, the first, uh, or 3, 4, and 5 verses. And uh, so it's just a, just it's just a, a, you know, a beautiful couple verses on what it looks like to value somebody. Okay, so I'll go ahead and read it first. Or I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. This is Paul writing to this same group of people, this ragtag bunch a few years later. He says, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, thankful for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this thing, this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and 
confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Actually, I read through seven. But so Paul's thankful for them. He's thankful to just remember them. And he prays for them joyfully. He appreciates them so much that praying is not a chore. Praying for them is, is just not a chore. It's a privilege and it's a joy for Paul. And then in verse 6, he's asking God you know, constantly to complete the work that God started in him, right? To see them grow spiritually so they can have the joy of bearing spiritual fruit. And Paul says, you're in my heart. You know, you're in the, the, the core of my relational being. Then, he's, then he says I'm, he, that he longs greatly for them, wishing, it's like this, wishing with all my heart that I could see them, that I could spend time with them. Kind of like this, imagine the song, you remember the song, I'll Be Home for Christmas? Take the words of that song and the heart of that song, and that's what's going on here. That's what, it's, that's what it looks like to be valued. Somebody just loves the snot out of you and wants to spend time with you, wants to see you blessed, is praying that God would just shower all good things upon you. And you get, and and you you'd get time together because they love and appreciate you so much. And then Paul has a litany of great and awesome spiritual benefits that he has for these that he wants for these people. So he prays those things into existence for the Philippian church. He prays and then God answers and those things happen in their lives. That's what it looks like to value someone when when we lay down our life for them or somebody does it for us either way. Prefer them above self, kind of like how Jonathan felt for felt about David, right? And that's how God feels about you. So think of it this way. Did Paul love the Philippian church more than God loved the Philippian church? No. Paul's love for the Philippian church was the people that was a reflection of God's love for them. It was just a reflection. And probably not a real great reflection, but it was a good one from human standards. But God's love is so much, so much better, so much bigger, so much higher. And that's how God values you. God values you so, so much more than you could ever imagine. He really values you. It's not manufactured. It's not conjured. It's an inner attitude that's, that's, that's so part of his personhood that he can't separate from and he wouldn't want to. And here, we're going to value each other with the same heart. We know nobody here is perfect, perfected yet, right? That's why God still has pastors and, you know, apostles, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, the fivefold ministry. If, you know... When people are perfected, you don't need those things anymore. But God has all those you know, positions in place to help people go to maturity. So we know that nobody's perfected yet, and that's fine. We value you in your success. We value you in your you know, failures. We value you um, in your mess and in your brokenness. So valuing someone is to say to yourself, this person's made in the image of God. God loves them with an everlasting love, and Jesus died for them. And so even if they act towards me with hostility, I still choose to love them. And if you do this, then God will fill your heart with amazing love. There's Yeah, because there's something really neat we're getting up to here. When, so so this, is, this is the deal. We supply the willingness, and God supplies the power. So God rarely asks people to do things that they can do on their own, right? Think about Joshua taking Nineveh. You know, or Moses leading the people out of Egypt. If it was something we could do on our own, then we wouldn't need God for it. But he asks us to do big things that we need him for. And that's and that's what this is and that's what this is about, right? We bring the willingness and God brings the power. So even if they're my enemy, I'm commanded to value them so I can love them. And then our goal is to win over each enemy one by one, right? Each enemy that we encounter, one at a time. Because when God wins them over, 
then we're moving them over, then God wins, the kingdom wins, and then we get a huge spiritual paycheck. It's really pretty cool. Animosity can't win over an enemy. Martin Luther King said, Dr. Martin Luther King said, hatred cannot overcome hatred. Only love can do that. So I'm going to read Luke 6, verse 27 through 36. So Luke 6, verse 27 through 36. This is, this is the part about loving your enemies. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to read a couple key verses, okay? <clears throat> verse 27. But I say to you who hear, does everybody hear me? Can you raise your hand if you hear me. Okay, good. I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Uh, give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Verse 32, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And then I'm going to jump down to verse 35. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And then your reward will be great. For you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. So what he's saying is, if you only love those that love you, he's saying, look, if that's the best you got, if that's your A game, that you can only love people that are nice to you, then the Holy Spirit is not empowering that love. Anybody can do that. That's easy. But if you can and do love your enemies, then you have a huge reward. There in verse 35, the, what the word means is wages or paycheck. And, it, and, and it's not for heaven, it's for here. If it was for heaven, Jesus would have said, you have a reward in heaven waiting for you. He said that several other times, but here he did not say that. So this is, this is a spiritual paycheck that you get here in this life, right? Wages, it's a spiritual paycheck for doing something that the master values. And so the master rewards it. So if you can just gut it out and value your enemy and love your enemy, then you have this huge spiritual paycheck coming. And it is really cool when God gives that to you. And if you can't love the person for who they are, then love them for Jesus' sake. Or love them for the sake of the paycheck that's coming. Just find a way to love them, right? Because it's, it's worth it. But you have to value the person before you can love them. So that's the decision in our heart. We make the decision. God brings the power. So here we choose. We are we are going to choose to value others, not to use others to fulfill all our needs, but to value other people, because God values them and He's commanded us to value and love them. So Arise Church is a place that values others. Like we have a, a, a core thing in our heart that says people are important to me. It's not what I can get out of you. It's that you are made in the image of God, and we're going to love you in your mess because of that. We value you, and if we do that, then love will come out also. Because this is about being part of a growing community that loves others. We have to value others to love them. So this is a place that values others. That's, that's big point number one. Big point number two, Arise Church is a place of reconciliation. So the word reconcile is to change from enemy to friendship. So reconciliation is an act of love that follows when you value someone, right? We were enemies of God. We had put up this wall between us and God, right? We made this rift. We put up this wall. We were the East Germany that decided we need to separate ourselves from God, and we put this huge wall up. And God was West Germany, just standing there watching it happen because it was of our own doing. 
But then later God comes in the person of Jesus Christ and he tears down that wall. That's reconciliation. Is we couldn't, we couldn't get over the wall. We couldn't tear the wall down. But God comes and reconciles us to himself. It's not that God was on his side of the wall mad at us. No, no, no. It's that we're on our side of the wall and we're mad at God. He's trying to reach out, reach out to us with, with his love. But we've been over here angry at God. And so he tears the wall down. And so we could, and so we could be in fellowship with him. So God the Father broke the bank by sending his only begotten son to reconcile mankind to himself, right? The greatest price that's ever been paid is what it costs to tear down that wall in your life and in mine. Now just remember the chance from, was it 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down? I think, I think they, they, that's, that's what their chant was, tear down. Oh no, that was Ronald Reagan, tear down this wall. And that's God's heart. To tear down walls that are between people and him. And so that's the scripture that Jonathan read a little while ago in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. God reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciled us to himself. We put up the barrier, God tore it down. God didn't wait for us to take it down. That never would have happened. And how did he do that? It says in verse 18, uh, Jesus did it by not imputing our trespasses to us. So what, what that means is not accounting or not reckoning sins to us. So imputing sins to a sinner, that'll happen later, right? Everybody is going to be judged by Jesus Christ. That's in Acts 17.31. Um, but instead, he didn't impute our trespasses to us because he's breaking down the wall into our lives, right? So in verse 18, it says, and Jesus has given us the same ministry that he had, the ministry of reconciliation. So it's kind of like this. You like you found a lottery ticket on the ground because I'm sure you're not going to gamble. But you found a lottery ticket on the ground, and it happened to be the winning lottery ticket. And you won like $5 billion. Maybe How about this? $500 million. We'll say that. Because there actually are lottos that have that much. So $500 million. And then, but you know what? You get your payout. This huge, awesome, amazing payout. But then you know what? If you give the ticket to somebody else, then they can also go and bring it to the bank and get their payout. The same amount, $500 million. And then they can give it to somebody else or you can give it to another person. And they get a payout for $500 million. And, and it's like your portion's not diminished, but whoever you give it to, they get this huge, amazing, awesome payout too. That's what salvation is like. And there's only one way to pass a winning ticket to other people, and that's by not imputing their trespasses to them, just like Jesus did. If we just went around and, and you know accounted people's sins to them, then we would never find a person to give that ticket to. Because guess what? The world is full of sinners. But that's why God reconciled us to himself. He's trying to tear down that wall. And so our job is to just reach out with that ticket and see who takes it. And see who takes it. And some people will take it. Some people won't. We just offer it. And whoever wants it will cash it in. And their life will be changed forever. Our job is just to pay it forward to give the winning ticket to as many people as we can and see who cashes it in. So, so Arise Church is a community of people who have received God's love, right? Because he's torn down the wall in our lives. We've been reconciled to God. But it's also a place of reconciliation between people. <clears throat> so there was a man who um, was feeling some symptoms and so he went to his doctor, and the doctor was like, oh, I don't know, let me go ahead and run some tests. And so they did a, did a bunch of blood work and ran a bunch of tests and sent it all off to the lab. And a couple weeks later, the doctor calls a man into his office and says, 
um, okay, we need to talk. Go ahead and sit down. And so the man's starting to, starting to get nervous, and, he's, and so he says, what is it, doc? What's, what's going on? And the doctor says, I'm sorry, it's, you know, your illness is terminal. And so the man says, well, tell me, doc, how long do I have? And the doctor says, 10. And the man says, 10 what? 10 years, 10 months, 10 weeks, 10 what? And the doctor says, 9, 8, 7. <laughs> so the point is just that when people you know, get close to the end, reconciliation becomes important. So we're going to be a place of reconciliation between people. Because God's not only concerned with reconciliation between us and him, he's also concerned with reconciliation between each other. Right? Those that have, that have hurt you, those that you've hurt, we've all been part of both sides. Right? That's usually when a barrier goes up when we've been hurt. And especially when the wound is from someone near, dear to us. And it hurts. It doesn't feel good. You know? Everybody who gets hurt, it hurts. Like, I, I don't know of anybody who broke their leg and said, you know, that just really wasn't so bad. You know, they broke their femur. And they're like, not so bad. No, it hurts everybody pretty much the same. Right? But God wanted fellowship with mankind so badly that he sent Jesus to make it happen. So it makes no sense that God would pay such a high price to break down the barrier between us and him and then ignore all the barriers that we put around ourselves between others. That would be a sudden change of his nature for him to just be okay with all those barriers. No, God doesn't like those barriers. He wants them all to come down. In fact, it's such a high priority in the Godhead that Jesus talked about it frequently. So a couple of those are in Matthew. So in Matthew 18 in the Lord's Prayer, I'm sorry, Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then later, in verse 14 and 15 in Matthew 6, he clarifies and says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, then neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is what he's saying is, look, about this reconciliation thing, I know it may not be a very high thing on your priority list, but for me, it's really, really, really high on my priority list. It's actually like part of who I am. It's part of the very nature of who I am. So to make sure that you give it the same level of importance that I do, I'm going to link it to your salvation. If you forgive those who've hurt you, then I'll forgive you. But if you don't forgive those who've hurt you, then I won't forgive you. Jesus did not leave the teaching on forgiveness as something that could be tampered with easily. Some people try, but the scripture always wins out in the end. So Jesus made it clear that forgiving others is not an option. It's required in the strongest sense of the word. So the application, if there's a barrier in your heart that separates you from someone else, God wants it to come down. He knows how much it hurts. He knows how deep the wound is. And he knows that it's so painful that you just can't let it go. But he also knows that forgiveness is impossible for the human nature. He's not asking you to do something that you can do. He's asking you to do something that you can't do. Because with God, all things are possible. He's offering you the strength you need to let it go, to forgive. And all we need to do is Say, okay, I'm willing. If you'll help me, then I'll forgive. 
So this is so this is this is this is what I'm saying. Let Jesus be their judge, not you. Put it completely in God's court and watch him handle it because he will handle it. I've seen God handle things that I've put in his court, things that have hurt me so badly um, that they drove me to tears. And somehow he gave me the strength to just bounce the ball into his court. And then he took it and he picked up and ran with it. And that person came back, you know, asking slash begging for forgiveness. That's how God can handle it. That's how he's handled it with me. Put the ball in God's court. Let him handle it. Just focus on delighting yourself in the Lord. Because then he'll give you the desires of your heart. So why is it why is forgiving others so important? Because unforgiveness disrupts unity within the community of relationships. God loves community. And unity inside the church is really an important thing to God. So much so that in John 17, he says that unity in the faith is the glory of the church. Like that's the pinnacle of glory for the church is when there's unity in the church. That's that's the glory he's given us. By the way, <clears throat> creating unity is is a skill. I mean, think about this. It, it, it's just such a skill you have to be like incredibly delicate about. Um, so everybody's been dealt this hand of cards by God, right? Your background, your position in society, your personality, your gifting, your feelings at any particular moment. All of those are in play as you interact with somebody else. And so all of that is, you know, to just know who, know who you are and navigate through that is kind of tricky. But then when you interact with somebody else, then they've got their own background, position in society, personality, gifting, and feelings at any particular moment. Right? So to maneuver through all these factors on your side and the other person's side is really just about a miracle right there. And that's only with two people. Then try adding more people. This thing gets really complicated really fast. <laughs> so it's so complicated that it takes, and it takes such delicate skill that, hu that it's humanly impossible to really to create true unity between people without God's help. Like you can get people to go along with you for a while, but that's not real unity, like unity of the heart and purpose and, and, and love for each other, right? It, it can only be accomplished by God's Holy Spirit working through the person. This is the reason that maintaining unity in the home is a requirement for spiritual leadership in the church, right? So in 1 Timothy 3, it says, when the requirements, one who rules well his own house, all those in his house, um, having his children in submission with all reverence, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So the question comes up, well, what if, what if the home doesn't run well? You know, could it be the spouse's fault? Well, yeah, it could be the spouse's fault, but it's still a requirement. And until, you know, until the requirement's met, until the home is all running well, the person's still unfit yet for spiritual leadership. Maybe they will be later, you know, pray for it, work towards it. Um, Romans twelve eighteen said says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So I see two factors with that, because um, people bring that up, bring up that first, as much as is possible. So number one, as much as depends on you indicates that there's a portion of this that does depend on you and a portion that does not depend on you. And you can't control that part. But then number two, our own levels of success on our part is typically a reflection of our own level of spiritual maturity. So 15 years ago, I had much less ability to deal with people of certain personality types than I do today, right? Because I'm more spiritually mature. But now I can handle those people a lot better. So it's also a reflection of how, how mature you know I am or we are. But it's reconciliation is something that God longs for among his children. 
And it hurts him when we allow walls to disrupt the unity that Christ paid for. Pay this huge price so we can have unity. And the more in touch with the Holy Spirit we are, then the better we see the damage of walls and disunity. And the more we just see the need to eliminate those so we can create unity. So God wants unity among his church. Right? It's not my idea. It's God's plan. So Arise Church is going to be a place of reconciliation between God and people and between people and others. Because God's the God of reconciliation. He likes that. And then last, big point number three, Arise Church is a place of encouragement. So the biblical word for this is edification or to build up others. So have you ever spent time with somebody where you just like feel like you have a positive boost when you spent, finish spending time with them? Like they just encourage you and they... And they call out your, you know, good traits or things that you do well. And they just really build you up. I have an aunt who does that, Aunt Ellie. And she just, you know, whenever I talk to her on the phone, which isn't very often, but sometimes, or see her in person, then she just really, you know, builds builds me up. She does it with everybody. She, you know, with, with my cousins who play football, she recalls what plays they did and how well they did at it and how they outran the, their defender and those type of things. And they just feel like a million dollars when she's done talking with them because they, they're like, you know, they notice, wow, she noticed all those things and she values all those things and she thinks I'm important. That's really neat. That's, it. That's encouragement. That's edification, right? I'm usually pretty hard on myself. I expect a lot of myself. I kind of beat myself up when I don't live up to my expectations. But when I listen to her, she just makes me convinced that I'm doing okay. <laughs> It's a nice change of perspective. So a common theme that's found in the New Testament, uh, when the New Testament discusses the church assembly or the church body, is that theme of edification. It really is in so many places. Like if you just look up the word edify or edification, it's mostly related to the church. You know, like in the church, the mission or the goal is to edify. So 1 Corinthians 14.3, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to people. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies, which is preaching and more, edifies the church. Okay, that's great. Edifies the church is to be edified. That's God's goal here. Even in, in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 14, 12, even so you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Okay, there we have it again. In verse 26, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So the application with this, the preaching of God's word to God's people is not to tear anybody down, but to build you up. That's the literal meaning of the word edify. There will be hard discussions when necessary and a call to repentance when needed, but the norm is to be built up through the preaching to the church. So in Ephesians 4, 11 through 18, I'll just mention this one too. So this is where God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers to, this is in verse 11 and 12, to fully prepare the saints for the work of the ministry and to edify the body of Christ. There's that word again, to edify the body of Christ. That's the job of apostles, and that's the job of prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to edify the body of Christ. So application, if you're part of the body of Christ, then you need edification. <laughs> the world is going to tear you down through the week. The world doesn't value you. The world doesn't love you or care about you. The world doesn't have a good and perfect plan for your life. 
No, the world wants to use you and take from you and leave you destitute on the side of the road. To use, take, and leave. But God values you. And he wants you to be built up. And then send you back into battle so you can continue to love God, love others, and make disciples. So after the world tears you down through the week, God's agenda is to build you back up. That's what we're, that, that's what we're going to be committed here to. That's what we are committed here to at Arise Church. Not tearing you down, but to building you up. So a question. There's so many different flavors of religious teaching going on. How do you know who's got the right message? And so the, and so the answer is right there in the Ephesians 4 part. An apostle, an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher will build up others in the faith. That's how you can tell the right message, right? They speak the truth in love, and this is all just taken from that passage. So people can come to unity of the faith. That's So unity of the faith, no schisms, right? Uh, but come to the knowledge of the Son of God, grow into full maturity in the faith, and then not be fooled by crafty, deceitful teachings. Because the whole body has a part. An essential part. So just like every member of the Church of Philippi was a blessing and was needed, here at Arise Church, you are a blessing and you are needed. You're not a spare part. You're not a tossed out, you know, used something. You're an essential part. The church needs you and God put you here for a reason. And so Arise Church is going to be a place of encouragement for you. So I just think, I just believe that God blessed the church plant at Philippi because Paul taught him enough to know how to value, reconcile, and encourage each other. And, and, and that's kind of just a short packaging of to love each other. If you love other people, then you'll value them. You'll seek reconciliation when needed. You'll build them up when they need it. They loved each other. And so Arise Church is also a place where you're loved. A place where people are loved. A place that values you, that values others. A place that, of reconciliation and a place of encouragement. And so we're just going to go ahead and close in prayer. Maybe the band could come up and play one last song. Does that sound okay? I think we're ready for the band to come on up. Okay. So, we're going to go ahead and close in prayer, and then the band will go ahead and play one last song for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your the life that you give. Thank you for the love that you have for us. Thank you for reconciling us to yourself. Thank you for valuing us. Thank you for giving us the ministry of reconciliation also. We give you glory and honor and praise today. We just are in awe to be on your team. And we choose love. We choose the side of love. Help us to love well. Help us to be a blessing to others. Help us with your strength and your power as we seek to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. We ask that you would transform Albany, that you would move in a mighty way so people here would be touched by your love through our lives, through your word, through our actions, through our attitudes. 
move in a powerful way here and reach this city. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.